If there were a night in Passion Week where there are emotions in the story and where they take center stage, where the passion of the participants are front and center, this is it. Potentially the pinnacle of the emotion in these words of Jesus, it is finished. Words uttered in one of Jesus' final breaths. This is it. I am done. I'm not going any longer. It is finished. Three simple words in English, and yet they say so much. Words carefully picked by Jesus, yet he was neither the first nor the last to utter such a phrase. I wonder if that very evening, the very same words ran through the minds of the women standing nearby, his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Ones who'd likely laid down palm branches with supreme expectation just five days prior. Ones who'd seen Jesus coronated king and act like one, directing his disciples with authority, commandeering property, get the donkey, the things happening just as he had planned and as they'd said. And now they see their king within an inch of death. He was supposed to be the anointed one, the Messiah. He had seemed to be the son of David, the long-awaited one. He was supposed to be the ruling king. He even said he was. He even showed he was, raising a man, Lazarus, from the dead just a week prior, healing the lame, giving sight to the blind. But here, none of that. Even when a criminal on his side goaded him in this direction, why don't you do this? He didn't. He just took it. Like a lamb being led to the slaughter. He was obedient, complicit, and now was almost completely done. It wasn't just that he was dying, though, that they mourned, that they would say, oh, it's finished. But also all of their, their hopes and their dreams for him, for them, for the world, dying along with him. All their hopes of what would be, what they thought could be, what they dreamed might be. I'm finished. Maybe said a bit differently than Jesus uttered those words, but they are the words of every person who once had a dream. A picture of a better tomorrow. A someday arrival that's now a hope that's shriveled and a dream that's died. These words express the hopeless reservation of the bride that this day would have celebrated her 42nd anniversary, but instead just stains a picture frame with tears. They are the words of hopeless reservation of the teen so lonely that he ponders and Googles the ways his life could end. 
They are the words of the career woman who didn't get the promotion yet again and is pained by all that she's missed, all that she's given up to get to just here. It's in the groans and the rage of a dad whose baby girl is lifeless now in his arms, just a few days old. I'm finished. It runs through the mind of the too frustrated to sleep, too exhausted to think, mind of the 40-something that hasn't found that someone. And the 50-something that has, but still feels so alone. I'm finished. Can be the sigh of these big things, but it's also in the desperation of the day-to-day, the homework that I can't figure out. I'm finished. The repeating argument that comes, what again? I'm finished. Another day where the sun doesn't shine, another health issue in the family, I just can't take it. I don't think the question is if, but when this has been you. I'm done, I'm finished, all hope is lost. And when it did, what did you say? What did you do? What do you do when dreams die? I think often we're much like a, an owner of a beloved pet that now sits lifeless in our arms. Like a, we look at it like a lifeless dream and don't know what else to do except to bury it. Bury the dream. Bury the expectation. Bury the hope. But not just that. Along with that, bury the feelings that come along with it. Bury the hurt. Bury the disappointment. Bury the bitterness. Bury the resentment of what hasn't been and seems like it never will be. Bury it. We don't know what other options we have. Thankfully, we have a God who's not only able to sympathize, to empathize with that kind of pain. Not only that, Jesus also modeled for us what to do when we find ourselves there. He's got a better option. Jesus, I think, was in that I'm finished mental state, not just because he said those words as he hung on the cross. I think also as he thinks about what could have been the disappointment of of what wouldn't any longer be, the time investing in his disciples face-to-face, finished. The time of, of healing one more lame or giving sight to one more who's blind, finished. The time proclaiming in parables and preaching on the mountainside is finished. The time of gathering around a good meal is finished. Comforting the grieving, caring for the confused is finished. Reaching out to the outsider, finding one more lost sheep here in this world is finished. Maybe it feels sacrilegious that we could say that Jesus would be disappointed. 
But couldn't he be? Is it sinful to be disappointed? Is it somehow not trusting a lack of faith to mourn what wouldn't be? What could have been but now can't to acknowledge what isn't? And then it hurts. I don't think it's sacrilegious, not one bit. It's just true. It is lament. A third of the book of Psalms, the the songs of the people of God are just that, lament. These are dialogue, meant to be dialogue with God of God's people. Well, those words of Jesus, it is finished, maybe only possibly describe disappointment. There is definite disappointment in the agony and the loneliness and the loss expressed in, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There in the finished work of all the sins and hurts of the world laid on him, it is It is definitely miserable. He is clearly hurting, for he was carrying and enduring not only the punishment of all the sins of all times, but also the hurt that all that sin causes among all that are sin against. We spoke of this earlier in Isaiah's prophecy about Jesus. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. There on the cross, he was feeling the fullness of the pain and desperation of every dream that would ever die. And all the disappointment that comes along with it. Of every bride that would mark an anniversary alone, of every teen that finds themselves in a hopeless night, of every career woman crushed by disappointment and regret, he would bear the sorrows of every dad hysterical over a lifeless child and every lonely person, whether single or married. He carried the pain of every late night studying student and every parent, child, or spouse who's hopeless the relationship will ever change. He bears the burdens of the depressed, whether by the weather, by illness, or just life as it comes. He feels and carries with us every pain that we endure. He not only felt, but continues to feel it all. He did not take them up on the cross and then drop them for us for later. He carries them still, and he still carries them, just as he carries the scars of the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Tells us this is true, that he hurts, that he struggles the whole day through. And thus he doesn't just sympathize as one who sees your pain, but he empathizes as one who feels and bears it and carries it with you. And what he does as he feels it, as he carries it, is worth noting too, for this is what he's maturing us to do as well. When things look bleak, he speaks. 
He's sad, disappointed, and hurting, but I don't see him bitter or resentful. I don't see him silent and burying it or attempting to pretend that it doesn't exist, those responses he doesn't do. Because these are the sinful ways to respond and to cope with dreams that have died and hopes that have shriveled up. Bitterness, it is a choice often a choice born in in silent stewing. Resentment is the ongoing habit of making that choice both arise from taking a situation and all the pain into our own hands, often because we don't know what else to do with it. Bitterness is looking at my own resources, my own capacity, and deciding there is nothing possible probably true. Resentment is the ongoing pattern of facing my struggles and my feelings all alone, and it becomes a way of life, a cancer inside us that slowly kills us from the inside. No, bitterness and resentment are not the way of Jesus. But speaking of your hurts, confessing it, letting it being voiced before him, letting Jesus carry the punishment for those sins, turning from them by the power of God at work in us is his way. When things look bleak, speak. This is what he does. This is useful both for sins that we've done and the pain that we endure. Speak of them. Speak of the pain of the sins that are committed against us. The pain that comes from the brokenness of our world. The pain that comes from regrets. What I wished I've never done, hadn't said, can't take back, couldn't undo. When things look bleak and feel bleak, take your cues from Jesus. Speak. He speaks to his father. He speaks of what he feels and what he thinks and what he sees. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, I feel alone. My God, things look bleak here. I have never done anything like this before. My God, things have not been like this between you and I before. God, I didn't want this. I said it in the garden, and I'm struggling with your will being done in this. The way to avoid the burden of bitterness and the wretchedness of resentment is to speak, to call out, God, for no matter how bleak things look, he still is God, objectively. But not only that, in baptism, he claimed you as his own. He is not only God, but your God. So speak to him like Jesus did and say, my God. And let those words speak to you. 
call out so that you're not just silently attempting to stew and face this on your own. Call out and let it remind you that you're not the first to feel alone, not the first to feel uncertain, not the first to think, I've never done this before and I can't do this, not the first to think. Things feel different between us. Where are you? How will you get me through this? You're not the first to call out and say, my God, my God, why? And how? And what's next? And as you do, let the Spirit return your mind to when Jesus spoke those same words on the cross. One who did bear the distance, did feel forsaken by the Father so that you would never be at a distance of the one who's promised I am with you and you would never be forsaken by him. So speak, not just my God, my God, but speak of sins, yours, that he has already carried. Speak of your hurts that he presently carries along with you Lay down your bitterness, confess your resentment, let his wide open crucified arms embrace you in the love that he's already shown for you. There on the cross, look at it and see that you don't bear your sin or your hurt alone. He takes your sin from you, he carries your pain with you. Here in those words on the cross, it is finished. that he knows and know that he is not only almost finished with the time that he gets to spend face to face with people he loves, he's almost finished with all that needs to happen. So the dreams that die and hopes that shrivel will never be the end of the story. Here it is finished, three simple words. The bold assurance that while dreams in this world do sometimes come to an end, the hope of the world to come never will. Amen.